0: Welcome to the Teaching with Madly Learning podcast replay, fitting it all together to make teaching and learning in the junior grades more accessible, practical, and fun for both teachers and their students. Here's your host, teacher by day, mom of three, and curriculum creator of all the things from madlylearning.com, Patty Firth. So you want to do a test. Well, how do we make sure that test accurately reflects what our students know? If we're not careful, tests will often have problems with the distribution of the types of questions we are asking, the accuracy of our marking and making sure that our marking actually fairly represents what our students are able to do, and that we are actually assessing the content that we want to assess, as well as how exactly do we mark it? Are they right? Are they wrong? Or should it be leveled? Anyone can write a test. But as teachers, we are tasked with the job of ensuring that our tests are accurately measuring student achievement, that we make sure that the things that we are writing, the tests that we are creating, that students who perform well on that test have a full and well-rounded understanding of the content that we are testing. This happens in math, it happens in science, it happens in social studies. We definitely want to make sure that what we are creating accurately measures what our students are able to do. And then a student who gets an A, they get an A because they've shown a thorough understanding of what they're being tested on. And a student that gets a D, gets a D not because they just scored poorly on each question in general, but they really are not understanding the concepts. Hi, my name is Patty. I don't really like tests. But I also have a new episode of Teaching with Madly Learning that comes out every single week. And it is our hope that through these episodes, we can help you make teaching and learning more fun and engaging for both you and your students. We would love it if you could like and subscribe and leave us a little bit of feedback on our show. So testing. Inherently, there's problems with testing. And we're not big, huge corporations that has the time and the energy to be able to come up with fancy tests. We just want to come up with questions and test our students. So we need a simple and easy framework that's going to help guide us in how we structure our questions, what weighting we put on those questions, so that we can create the most accurate types of tests that really do measure our students' understanding. So specifically in this episode, we're going to look at math tests. In previous episodes, we talked about alternatives to testing, whether we are looking at how we structure our overall program, as well as looking at projects as alternatives to tests in general. If you want to check out those episodes, you can find those in the description or in the show notes at www.madlylearning.com. So what are the problems with testing? Well, here in Ontario, when we are crafting a test, we are supposed to be measuring students' understanding, and knowledge and skills on four different levels in the achievement chart. So we have knowledge and understanding, thinking, communication, and application. Those four domains are where we are really supposed to be testing a student's understanding. Not just that they know the basics of the concept, but they can take that concept, apply it to new concepts. They can communicate their understanding back to us, And they are really able to think deeply about that concept and what it actually means. However, far too many of our tests that we just make the night before we have to make a test, far too often those tests are over-relying on the knowledge and understanding portions and under-representing the thinking and application portions of the test. This is predominant in math tests. We often overly weight the knowledge and understanding and underweight the application and the thinking part. Most of the time in a math test your application and thinking part comes from questions that are problems, multi-step problems, single-step problems where students are thinking about concepts where there's unknown quantities and multi-step problems or even story problems in where they have to solve math in the context of a story. Those are your thinking and application questions that we really want students to do. While the communication can be communicated across the whole test, a lot of the times the communication piece really comes into those word problems and the thinking and the application portions. So when we're creating a math test, the question often becomes, at what point do we distribute these questions? How many questions do we need to add that are knowledge and understanding? And how many questions do we need to add that are problems? And then how do we need to weight those questions so that when we mark the test, we are not unfairly weighting those questions so that a student who simply just does the knowledge and understanding can get an A, or a student who does the one word problem really well and shows a super thorough understanding, but makes some small errors or misses a page on the first part of the test where the knowledge and understanding questions are, they make small errors or things like that, but they clearly show that they have a deeper understanding. They don't unfairly get scored and lose a ton of points because of how we've weighted those questions and how we've distributed the questions. In my own classroom, what I would find is when I would go ahead and create a math test, I would end up over-emphasizing the knowledge and understanding questions, and then I would mark the thinking and application questions out of four. Four levels, level 4A, level 3B, C, and D. So, I would mark them out of four. You got four points if you got a level four, and you got one point if you got a level one. And then those questions were out of four, except the knowledge and understanding, when I added all of those sections up, sometimes were out of 20. So, if a student scored 16 out of 20 on the knowledge and understanding questions and a four out of four on the thinking and application questions, it would skew the results of their test. Whereas, really, That student should probably score much better because they demonstrated more advanced thinking in the thinking and application portions. They accurately showed me that they understood the concepts, how to apply them, and they really had that deeper understanding, but it doesn't reflect that in the test. Same being said for a student who gets the basics, they can just run through the steps of the standard algorithm, but really and truly, that's it. That's where their thinking stops, and they're not really yet having that A-level work or A-level thinking when it comes to your thinking and application questions. So it would keep me up at night literally thinking about not necessarily communicating that a student who did not have an A-level understanding or a B-level understanding of the math could still score a B on the test even though accurately their understanding should come out as a C. Their performance on the test is a C level quality, yet because they got the right questions right and the wrong questions wrong, they ended up still getting an A. And that didn't sit right with me. So I would agonize over how to weight a test, how to score a test, what questions to put on a test that would accurately give me those answers. So I want to share that with you. But before we do that, I want to talk about distribution, specifically when we're looking at. Distribution of word problems and how we mark them. Word problems are not simply just right or wrong. If we give a word problem at a 10 and give somebody who gets it correct a 10 out of 10, but yet we give somebody who doesn't get it correct 2 out of 10, we've given them 20% on that question. Even though it might be a level one, we've given them 20%. So, how do we accurately score it and why shouldn't we score it as we should score math problems leveled and not scoring math word problems? as an out of question. I want you to imagine a test where you have, if you were scoring word problems, so five word problems marked out of four marks each. So they're out of 20. So you have five times four, five word problems each out of four. So if they get it all correct and show their work and answer the question, that's four out of four. If they get the right answer, but don't show any of their work and don't write out the therefore, this means blah, 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 they would only get one out of four. So, this is what happens. A student who gets all five questions right and does an excellent job, gets 20 out of 20. Perfect. They deserve that. A student who gets misses two marks, maybe they didn't show their work on a couple of questions, or there might have been a small error in some of their computation, or they used an inefficient strategy. You took two marks off for whatever reason, on two of the questions. They now scored an 18 out of 20. Still pretty good. That would be an A-level work. you know, they did an excellent job. They did all the things. they made two small errors, 18 of 20. That's still 90 percent, no big deal. And then we have 16 out of 20. For somebody who maybe made a mistake on one question, got it wrong, you know, didn't show their work, blah blah, blah blah blah, they get 16 out of 20, still 80 percent this is where we start going down. When we're scoring them out of right and wrong, it means that a student, the only way to get a B. So we have three opportunities to get an A, and you almost have to do every question perfectly. Then we have one opportunity for a student to get a C. That's if they get 14 marks out of 20. So they need to get three out of five on every single question. So if they get most of it, they get the right answer, but maybe they don't write the best sentence, or maybe they don't always show their work very clearly, we'd give that a three. That would be a level three. So you have one opportunity to get a three and three opportunities to get an A. But then it goes down again. Now we only have one opportunity for a C. So you have a 12 out of 20. So 14 and 15 is a B. 12 out of 20 is a C. But then look at how many students end up failing. And this is the problem. To get a 10 out of 20, 8 out of 20, 6 out of 20, 4 out of 20, or 2 out of 20, we are skewing those results. Anybody who makes a significant mistake automatically is now skewed down to the bottom. That means that students have, as a wide range here, from 10 out of 20 all the way down to two out of 20, they're getting less than 50%. Now, we all know that if a student makes an attempt on a question, they do their best, they try. Maybe they get it wrong. Maybe they're not a B student. Maybe they really deserve a D or a C. That's what we've probably given it a shot. They've tried. There's some misconceptions. They should be getting a D, which is a 50 to a 60%. However, Most of those students who are struggling don't get D's. They end up failing the test. And then we have all of these students that are failing the test because there's misconceptions and they're having a hard time, whereas they really should be getting the 50% because they've tried. They've showed that they understand some things. They're not just writing nothing on their paper because that's how we mark. We mark where You know, even when they're marking on EQAO here in Ontario or standardized testing, if a student tries, it's a D. It's not an I. There is nothing below D. It's D or I. And I means incomplete or not even done. No attempt made. Empty. Blank. Yet in our tests, when we are using a scoring system, we are unfairly scoring students who are low performers. Our C and D students have an unfair advantage on these types of tests. Because if they're struggling, their marks are then skewed lower because you're on that bell curve. So they're skewed lower out of this result. So it doesn't really help motivate them to be constantly failing their tests. We want to give them more opportunities and really look at how we can accurately assess that that student didn't actually fail, but they got a D because they made an effort. They get some things, but maybe not all things. Now, imagine you have five board problems, but they're leveled, not marked on the out of system. So three out of four. Instead, they're leveled. So if each student is leveled, we look at what their mark was on each of those five leveled tests, and then we can assign them a grade. So if a student gets a four on all four questions or all five questions, they would get a four plus or an A. If a student got some threes and fours, they would get a four or a four minus. If a student got mostly threes and some fours, that's a three plus. If they got some threes and perhaps a two, that would be a three and so on and so forth. But what ends up happening is if students are scoring level twos or level ones or Cs and Ds on their questions, they don't fail. They accurately get Cs and Ds because we should be marking on the most consistent what students are performing at, what's consistent. If you want to convert this into numerical marks so it's easier for parents to understand, you can simply make every word problem question out of 10 and score it like it's a percentage. So 7.5 out of 10 is equivalent to 75%. This question, five word problems, each out of 10 would be a test out of 50, and then students' leveled marks would be according. So if you got 7 times 5, you would have 35 out of 50. And so that would convert to the percentage where they would be getting a B. And this is why the accuracy of how we are leveling students Is unfairly disadvantaging some over others, and why we need to be so concerned about how we are testing our students and how we are creating and scoring these tests so that they accurately are capturing understanding and not skewing our data to just either side of the bell curve. So, when we're scoring those math word problems, this is an example of a rubric that you can use that accurately scores students out of 10. So if you convert each one of your word problems to be a word problem out of 10, then this would allow you to score them out of 10 while also leveling them. Notice that the lowest mark somebody can get on a score is a 5 out of 10, representing a 50%. You can give them lower than that. You can give them a zero if they get a zero because they leave a blank or it's an I, but really it's I or it's level one, two, three, and 4. This is this repeats exactly how we score students on report cards, and it more accurately represents our students' performance and doesn't unfairly skew those results to those on the lower end of our scale by just automatically failing them on all of our tests. So, a student that gets a level three can be given a mark between seven and 7.9. Simply give students a conversion, what percentage you would give them. So, if it's a level Three minus, you can give them a 72. and that would be a 7.2 out of 10 on the test. And that's totally okay. Make sure that your parents are well aware of your scoring technique and how you score, because this is going to be a really important thing that you can communicate so that parents understand these are scored and why. So for every single math question or math word problem, you can score it using this rubric. Now, this is how we plan out a test. That's ultimately the question, is when we're creating a test, how do we make sure that our distribution of the types of questions, that we're not overrepresenting knowledge and understanding type questions, that we have a well-balanced test that assesses our students on all of the four levels of the achievement chart, the thinking, the application, the communication, and the knowledge and understanding. What percentage of our test should be made up of these types of questions? So created a little cheat sheet To help you, you can download this cheat sheet at www.madlylearning.com/forward/slash/math-test, or you can find it in our show notes for this episode. So we want three components to our math tests. These are the three portions of our math tests that we're going to be using. Communication is going to be integrated into the thinking and the application part, and then knowledge and understanding is on its own. Now, students for knowledge and understanding what will they do? They're going to provide the correct answer. That's the type of questions we're looking for. One where students are simply just expected to provide the correct answer. These are going to be your basic rote skill questions, matching, fill in the blank, find the question, one step numbers only questions. So you're simply going to be giving them giving them some numbers, asking them to do something. You're going to provide what operation they're going to be using? What it is they're going to be doing, they just have to perform. They don't have to apply anything. They're not showing the interconnectedness between the concepts that they understand and the thinking they have to show. They're just doing the math. That's the knowledge and understanding. This can make up about 40% of your test. That means that if your test is at a 25, you'll have about 10 questions or 10 marks, depending on how you want to weight them. Give everything 0.5 if you want to. Every single question gets 0.5, but you need 10 marks out of 25, or better yet, 20 marks out of 50. I love using 50 for tests. It's a nice round number, really simple to find those percentages. But if your test is out of 50, you need 20 knowledge and understanding questions. You need 10 out of 25 if you're using a 25 mark test. You can use simply one point per correct answer. They get it right, they get a mark. Or they get it right, they get half a mark. Doesn't matter how you want to break it down, but that's how you can do it. It's just very simple knowledge and understanding will consume about 40% of your test. That means that if a student is getting an A, five questions worth four marks each, they would get 20 out of 20. If they got a B, they would be getting a 15 out of 20 and if they got a C, it'd be 12 out of 20, and D is 10 out of 20. If the student is strong on this section, they must also get strong on the other sections to maintain a strong mark overall. That's the key here, is that you don't want an overemphasis on one category to skew the results of the other two categories. So while you may have 20 questions, that's going to be about 40% of your mark. So, out of 20, so if I did it out of 50, they would get 20 out of 20 on that portion of the test. They would most likely be getting an A. If they got 15 out of 20, so 15 out of the 20 marks out of the test that's total of 50, they would get a B. So, it's not going to overly skew students' results. Now, we'll go to the application and communication. The application and communication portions of your test are going to put math in a context and help students understand asks them to use what they know from a given information to solve. These are going to be your one-step story problems. They're going to be word problems. They're going to be simple and straightforward. All of the information is known. There's not really going to be anything missing. It essentially means they need to extract the math question out of the problem and then do the math question. They have to then understand, however, why it's an application and not knowledge and understanding is because they have to understand the context in which the math is placed. So in order to get it, they've got to sort of extract that math information from within that context and then do the math. So it adds one more step to the complexity of, say, a knowledge and understanding question. For that reason, we're going to have 40% of your mark also be application and communication. If all of your word problems are out of 10, that means you're going to have two single step word problems. Each one is going to be worth 10 marks. Now that means that you have two questions worth 10 marks. You have 20 out of 50. So 40% of your math test will be two questions. Both of them will be marked out of 10 and leveled. So again, the lowest they're going to get is going to be 10 out of 20. They're going to get 10 marks if they just try it. Even if it's totally wrong, that's a D. They're going to try it. It's not going to be, well, that's a D. They get 5 out of 10. So the least they're going to get in that section is going to be 10 out of 20. If they absolutely do nothing, obviously that would be a zero. Finally, you're going to have your thinking and communication. A thinking question is where students must sort through information provided and make and follow a plan to solve. They must design the steps and select the tools they may need to test ideas. These are going to be where you could actually solve the problem using a bunch of different operations, but you have to decide which one it is. It's not always super obvious. It also is going to mean that you might have a multi-step problem where you first have to find A and then you have to use A to solve part B. So those two-step problems are going to automatically bump into the communication piece because you now have to order the ideas. You have to figure out and make a plan as to what comes first and what you have to do next. You can't just simply extract the information and go. You have to extract the information, figure out what it means, come up with what you're going to do first, figure out what strategy, what operation to use, and then you're going to need to solve. For that reason, these are thinking questions. This is going to be worth 20% of your overall test mark. So out of a question, out of 25, it'll be worth five marks. And out of a test, out of 50, it'll be worth 10 marks. These are multi-step word problems, and again, if someone scores a 9 out of 10 on that word problem, they're going to get an A, and if they score a 7.5 out of that word problem, they're going to get a B, and so on and so forth. When we split our tests into this 40, 40, and 20 model, it means that we have a better opportunity as teachers to distribute our questions appropriately distribute our weighting and our marking more fairly, and allows our students to get the mark they actually deserve based on the what they're able to show their understanding of. It doesn't unfairly skew us over to the knowledge and understanding. It actually requires our students to show a higher level of thinking if they want to get that A and need to earn that A. It's not automatically given just because they get all the right answers in one section of the test. And finally, my favorite thing to do when marking a math test is to come up with a scoring guide. This is the one pager, if you will, that I use that allows me to score each test. So I have a separate test on one side and this page. It allows me to just work through these questions and see what their score is and looks at what I need to mark. So I've got 20 questions for the knowledge and understanding two word problems for application, one word problem for thinking. They're all marked on a rubric. The rubric is right there where I can see it. And then I have their total score that gives me a total that breaks everything down for whether I'm marking at a 50 or I'm marking at a 25. If you would like to get your hands on the pages that you see here, starting with the rubric, and then the Scoring Planner page, as well as the Math Tracking Test page, you can grab these at www.madlylearning.com forward slash mathtest. You can also find a link to this in our show notes. If you would like to learn more about how to write a math test, whether you even need a math test, and how to structure your overall math program, please check out www.madlylearning.com forward slash ignitedmath. To the Teaching with Madly Learning podcast replay. Join me on www.madlylearning.com for more information on all things teaching in the junior grades. Don't forget, you can always catch this show on the Madly Learning YouTube channel. See you next week for another replay episode of Teaching with Madly Learning.